Turn with me then to Galatians chapter 4 in your pew Bibles. Galatians 4, we're going to read the verses 8 through 20. That's found on page 1156 and 1157. So that's 1,156 and 1,157 in your pew Bibles. We're going to pay particular attention to the verses 12 through 20. 12 through 20 serve as our text, but we'll read from verse 11. All of this um, is a particularly personal plea. It's a, uh, it's a very passionate pastoral heart that's on display in these verses uh, as the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatian churches. So beginning at verse 4, or verse 8 rather, hear the word of God. Formerly, when you did not obey or did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In other words of our text, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, what then has become of your blessedness. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but no, for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could present with you, or could be present rather with you, now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless that word to us this morning. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in our study of the book of Galatians, we have been listening essentially to the content of Paul's uh, ministry of what he says uh, to the Galatian churches as he seeks to win them. And then as we've done that, we've also put ourselves uh, in the shoes, in the sandals, you might say, of the Galatian Christians, and asked ourselves if what Paul was saying had some resonance in our own lives. Is there something here that we need to pay attention to that needs to pinch or challenge us? And we've found uh, along the way various ways in which the Word of God has done that. But one of the things we could have been doing and that we're going to do now is not just listen to what Paul says, the content of his ministry to the Galatian Christians, but also the method, the way in which he does it. Because Paul gives us a master's class here in this book of Galatians on how to minister to those who are wayward, those who are struggling, because of course that's what the Galatian ch churches were. They were churches that were straying from the faith. That's why Paul is uh, uh, begins his letter in the way that he does, saying about being astonished so quickly that they were desert, deserting him who had called them in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, or calling them foolish, saying they were bewitched, and that sort of thing. This is a church, uh, and churches rather, this was a group of churches that were in danger of leaving the things of the faith and, and going off in a direction contrary to the gospel. And that's an experience that, that every 
age of history has had. That's an experience that every congregation has had. Not necessarily as a congregation, but also within the congregation. We have brothers and sisters of the faith that can leave the faith for various reasons. And how do we minister to such people? How do we minister to communities when they are straying from the faith, when they are walking in a wayward path? How do we show them the love of God in Jesus Christ, but hold them to the standard of God's Word? Paul gives us in the book of Galatians a a very excellent example of how to do that. And he does so especially now in our text uh, this morning, the verses 12 through 20 of Galatians 4, in which he again opens his heart as a preacher, as a pastor for these congregants, for these believers, and he unburdens himself. He earnestly pleads with them. The language of this text is full of very personal terms like, I entreat you, and little children, and so on. Paul is, is, is earnestly pleading with these believers to restore them to the faith. And how can we adopt that mentality? How can we adopt that procedure in our own ministry to those who may be walking from the faith, to those who may be straying from the things of the Lord? Well, Paul shows us how. And he shows us how, first of all, when he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. That's a bit of an odd phrase and maybe a little bit strange to us at first. Become as I am for I have become as you are. But we need to listen to those words in the context of the whole book and in the context of what's going on in the Galatian churches and how it is that the Apostle Paul is ministering to them, what it is that he's ministering to them about. You'll remember that he is concerned they are becoming enslaved, imprisoned to works righteousness. They are becoming enslaved to a faith that is based on elementary principles that doesn't bless, that they are being led astray away from Jesus Christ by a works righteousness that is contrary to the gospel. And Paul can say to the Galatians, I know what you're going through. I know why you find this heresy appealing. I know why, because I embraced it once too. Remember, Paul was a Jew, a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. When it came to trying to earn salvation by doing good, Very few people could outmatch Paul or Saul as he was then known because he was as pious, as righteous, as obedient, as godly and spiritual a human being as you could possibly meet. This guy was the cream of the crop. He lived in what these Galatian churches were being taught to live in. He lived that life long before they'd ever heard of it. And when Christ came and stopped him on the road to Damascus, when Christ arrested his life and said, enough is enough, then Paul's eyes were opened to see the truth. And Paul understood that his entire spirituality was rubbish, as he says elsewhere in his letters. It was garbage. He says, I suddenly understood that what I was doing was a waste of time, was useless, and I have no pride in it. I don't at all live that way anymore. I have left it behind. When Paul came to know Jesus Christ, when he was born again, when he was renewed in the power of the Lord, then he entered into light. He entered into freedom. He entered into life. And he didn't want to go back at all to the pathway of enslavement. 
And that's why he now says to his readers, become as I am, free in Jesus Christ, not enslaved at all, because I became as you are. That is, I've left that works righteousness. I've left that mentality. I've left that way of living. Which means you understand that Paul shows the Galatians or asks the Galatians to walk in a path that he himself has walked on. He knows its challenges. He knows its joys. He knows its struggles. He knows why this lie is appealing, even as he knows the power of the freedom of the gospel. And in, doing, in, in speaking this way, the apostle gives us a pattern, gives us an example of how we should minister to those who are similarly straying. Maybe not in exactly the same way the Galatian church was. We're not the Galatian church. We're not the Apostle Paul. We're different, of course. But what Paul says is to the Galatians, I know what you're going through. I've been there. And I can tell you with personal experience that it is a miserable path and that the way of Christ is more glorious. And when it comes to ministering to those in our own families, our own fellowship, our own community, our own friend group, that needs to be at least a principal part of our ministry to them. That when we come to a brother or a sister who's straying, somebody who's struggling, we shouldn't come to them in self-righteousness. That's the default position. That's the way that we tend to look down our nose at people that are mis- making mistakes or falling into sin. And then we say, why are you so stupid? And why would you be so foolish? And I can't... Bu-. And then we stand on our righteous, self-righteous high horse and we tell this member that they need to come up and be like us, achieve piety like we are pious. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul gets down into the muck and mire that these Galatian Christians are in and says, I've been here, man. I know what this is like. I've lived this. And I've been freed from it. And you've got to stay free as well. And that's a powerful testimony to give to those who are struggling in sin. When you come alongside them and say, I have been where you are. I know the temptation of pornography. I know the temptation of drugs. I know the temptation of pride. I know the temptation of of lust. I've walked this path. I've been in this misery where you are now. But God delivered me from it. God in His grace freed me. And I want you to be free as well. How often isn't it in our own experience when we're going through something that somebody who's been there before us is just that much more encouraging to us? We have that often, don't we, when we fall into into some illness and the doctor gives us a diagnosis and it's very difficult for us to bear under. And then somebody calls us or somebody stops us at church or somebody stops by at our house and says, you know what, I've been there. And just something about that person who's had the same diagnosis as us, who's walked through the same path, there's just something about their words, their encouragement, that just resonates a little better, doesn't it? It just speaks to us a little more encouragingly. And that's also true in the struggle of sin. When a brother or a sister is straying from the faith, if we stand in self-righteous judgment, we're not going to win them. But if we speak to them of our own experience, I've been there. 
that we walked the path first. Then we bring them alongside. We bring them into the way of God's saving work and grace. We encourage them by our example. This is something that needs to be especially true, it seems to me, of the leaders of the church, of ministers, elders, deacons, teachers, parents. We are the ones that need to recognize that God has done a good work in us and that before we go looking down our nose at those who are struggling, whether they're our children, whether they're the student in our class, whether they're somebody in the congregation, before we think ill of them, maybe we should remember how gracious God has been to us. And we ought to allow that integrity, that honesty to shape the way that we minister. But of course, that means, you understand, that we have to have that integrity and honesty. That is to say, we, we have to have experienced this if we're going to be able to share the experience with others. If we're going to minister, if we're going to win others for the Lord, we have to have integrity. We have to have a genuine experience of God's grace. It has to be to us more than just words on a page, right and wrong, arguments to be won. We're very good at that. We're very good at winning arguments. We need to get better at winning souls. And that begins with our own experience of God's grace. Paul had experienced a powerful powerful witness and testimony of the Lord's love in his life, and he was able to use that in his ministry to others. We need to be able to use that too. That is, we need to first ourselves drink deeply of God's grace so that we can share that grace with others. We don't sit on our lofty perch with life altogether to tell others how they should live their lives. We tell others to walk the path we've already walked ourselves. And now, the apostle, in so encouraging his Galatian Christians, goes on to add a second method or a second reason for their returning to the faith that they were leaving behind. He begins by saying, I've walked this path. I know where you're going. Become as I am. Experience the power and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, and you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now really what Paul's just doing here is rehearsing the history of the Galatian church. Remember, these are Gentile uh, people for the most part. They are unknown. They were unknown to the Lord. They were unknown to the gospel. They were unknown to the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And then in God's providence, Paul, as he was traveling in his missionary journeys, maybe not planning to stop in the Galatian churches, but because he fell ill, maybe he was on his way to Ephesus, maybe he was on his way to some one of the other Assyria, or, or Asian churches, but because he fell ill, because he was quite ill and, and, and he had to stop moving, uh, maybe Luke, the, the physician, was with him. Luke said, listen, Paul, you, you have to rest. You have to stop going. Uh, stopped in the town of Galatia, either because it was convenient or, or, or in the area of Galatia, either because it was convenient or because there was some health benefit to it. But he stopped there in order to recover from this bodily ailment. It was entirely in God's providence that he was there, not something that he'd planned. And you'd think that, that such a circumstance would not tend to the, to the planting of churches 
in such a place as this. Here comes this man who can barely move, who's resting, whose, ail- whose bodily ailments are significant. He's very weak and frail. You'd think this is no dynamic preacher. This is no powerful orator. This is no man who's standing as he would do at other times in the court, in the, in the, in the public square on Mars Hill and regale the crowds with a powerful testimony of the truth of God in Jesus Christ. No, this was a very weak man, a very frail man who could barely minister the word of God, but was received by the Galatians as an angel, as a messenger of God himself, indeed as Jesus Christ himself. They received him as the Savior. And that's a powerful testimony. That's a a, a strong term to use when Paul says, you received me as Jesus Christ. But it is an appropriate description precisely because Paul came as a preacher of the good news. Paul takes the Galatians back to the beginning when they were so excited, when they were so gracious, when they were so in love with Paul. Precisely because he gave to them the good news of the gospel. Because they heard from him salvation free and full in the Son of God. In his frailty, he proclaimed a powerful word and their hearts were transformed and their spirits were made alive and they came to know Jesus. Some of us have had that experience. Some of us can speak to that, have have lived apart from the things of the Lord and then somebody shared with us the good news of the gospel. Somebody talked to us about Jesus and our hearts were suddenly alive. We found as we just sang that rest that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. We found that power that comes from the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We suddenly rejoiced and we celebrated this person, this friend, this family member, this coworker who brought us into the faith. We rejoiced because of what they've done. Paul reminds the Galatians of what had happened how they were in the beginning and then asks why are things the way they are now because Paul says have I become your enemy by telling you the truth now here here is a a challenging word especially in the context in which we live because it's a word that reminds that the gospel is offensive and that Paul is willing to offend. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You used to love me. You used to celebrate me. You used to, you would have done any, you would have given me your eyes. That's how much you loved me. Not because of who I am. I was a weak, frail, sickly man, but because I gave you the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm still giving you the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, says Paul. I'm still telling you about how the Lord has saved and that the Lord alone is sufficient and that you need do nothing else. I'm still telling you the same word that I told you at the beginning, that word that gave you such hope and comfort. I'm still giving it to you now. And how is it then that you are so angry with me? And angry they were. Paul wouldn't say this if he didn't mean it. He's not trying to be dramatic when he says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? The relationship between Paul and the Galatians had soured. Things had gone south. 
And that's never an easy thing for any of us to bear. We've all been there with family members, with friends, with church members, where things have gone badly. And suddenly there's tension where there was once love and there's there's brokenness where there was once unity. and, And that's a painful thing to experience. None of us wants to be there. And all of us want to heal over that, that wound. We want to heal over that brokenness. And sometimes we're willing to compromise anything and everything to do that. And there is a sense in which we, we should be willing to sacrifice everything for our loved ones, where we should be willing to speak a word of encouragement and hope no matter what. But sometimes we're even tempted to diminish the gospel for that wayward child. It's not living for the Lord and, and that burn, burdens us and bothers us and that is a heavy weight upon our hearts and we know that if we, if we keep telling her she's got to repent, she's got to repent. Gently, without question, winsomely, of course. We don't want to be offensive in our methods. We don't want to be offensive in our character. We don't want to be, we don't want to be the offense Ever. We do all things to win God's people. We become all things to win God's people. Paul was that way too. Paul did not set out to be offensive to anybody. But Paul knew, maybe better than any of us know, that the gospel offends. This is a man who was beaten, who was whipped several times, who was imprisoned and stoned, left for dead. Simply for saying that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, that He's the resurrected Savior of the world. Paul knew that simply by telling others they needed salvation in Jesus Christ, they would become angry with him. And he was willing to endure that. He was willing to experience that. He was willing to make the Galatians an enemy of his by telling them the truth. If that's the consequence, Paul says, I'll do it. I I will not compromise on the gospel. I will not alter the truth of God's word in the least. I will try winsome ways to say it. I will try challenging ways to say it. I will try difficult ways to say it. But I will try to win you because the gospel is life itself. It is the truth. And it's important that we as congregation, as families, as individuals, maintain that strong emphasis on our conviction that the gospel is life and that it's the only way to win sinners because we live in a culture that takes offense that's the great sin of our culture you understand there are very few sins our culture acknowledges the one that does acknowledge is you cannot offend you can watch news reports with people with the reporter asking somebody that's gone through some event has has been a witness to some sort of moment of history and And invariably, at some point, the reporter says to the individual, and how did that make you feel? Or you watch Oprah, or you watch any of these other daytime talk show hosts. How does that make you feel? Because how we feel is of the greatest importance in our world. And anybody that makes me feel bad is wrong. Anybody who makes me feel angry is at fault. Sometimes... We can even hear that. We can even experience that in our own lives as church and congregation. Sometimes our, maybe our younger members, maybe dad and mom have gotten us into trouble or rather we've gotten into trouble and mom and dad are punishing us for our choice. And now we're in our room because mom and dad have said we've got to go in our room and then maybe we get angry 
at our brother and sister because they were the ones that really did it. Or we get angry at mom and dad because mom and dad, they're the terrible ones. It is entirely possible that because we're angry, that we're unwilling to accept the truth that we need to repent and believe. And in that culture, it's very difficult for a church, Christians, bearers of a gospel message that we know offends. We know it offends. It's very difficult for us to present that gospel in a way that isn't going to run counter to our society, run counter to the expectations of our children, of our friends, of our fellow believers. We instinctively know it when we have to go talk to Buddy and we have to say to him, hey, it's time you smartened up. We know he's not going to be happy about it. And while we should, again, be as winsome as possible, we may never compromise the truth. Paul's words in Galatians are at times gentle and tender and at times harsh and difficult but they are all in service to the truth. You need Jesus Christ. You need to repent and believe. You need to rest only in the person and work of your Savior. And that needs to become an increasing passion of ours as a congregation. For there are no shortage of people that are willing to lead us astray. But there aren't as many people who love us with that deep of a love who love us with that passionate of love, who love us as freely and selflessly as Paul loved and served the Galatian church, saying, I will surrender myself so that you can hear the good news of the gospel. I will offend you so that you can believe in Jesus Christ. We must persist in our bringing the gospel to sinners, for it is the way of life and of salvation. Indeed, as Paul says in the very end, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul here lays aim at the false teachers that are troubling the Galatian church. He says they make much of you that you may make much of them. It's a lovely way to describe what often is the experience uh, of those that are drawn away, those that are tempted by others. Really what those others want to do is they want to gather around themselves people that agree with them, people that that boost their ego that that say yes you're right and my family and friends my church community is altogether wrong you can see that and you can experience that in this life very often you see a young person who maybe goes to university or or maybe falls into a crowd of friends that isn't maybe the best and those friends like the book of proverbs says hey throw in your purse with us and let's you know have everything in common let's let's work together and they, they isolate the individual from their community. Mom and dad don't really know what you're going through. Your friends, they're, they're, they're so narrow-minded. 
And slowly but surely, that member of the congregation that once loved being in cadets and kingdom seekers, being at catechism, being in the church community, they're not around anymore. They're alone. They're isolated. They become angry. And suddenly, they're part of a different group. They're part of a different segment. They no lo- I don't need you anymore. I have these friends now. That's what Paul's saying the Galatian heretics are doing. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were puffing up the Galatian churches. They were saying, oh, you guys are the best, and wow, never had been to such a great church before, in order that they might make much of them, that they would do what the Judaizers said. And the Apostle Paul says, well, it's good to be made much of, for sure, to be celebrated, to be praised for what is good and for what is right. But it has to be for a good purpose. It has to be not to lead you away from Christ, but lead you to Christ. That's why he describes his ministry to them as being in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. What is Paul's desire? What is Paul's goal in ministering to them? It is to see them Christ-like, to see them more in the image of the Son, to see them more devoted to living in praise to the Father. Paul's commitment is not to his own praise. He doesn't need more numbers. He doesn't need to go around the rest of Asia saying, I've got so many converts. I've got so many churches that listen to me. He didn't start his own little ministry organization. This isn't about Paul's Uh, abilities or power, Paul says, I am in anguish of childbirth because I want Christ to be formed in you. And I mean, that is again a very, very good uh, uh, example of how uh, we ought to minister to others. We ought to minister to others with integrity. That's his first point. I've walked the path. I can tell you about it. Let me share my experience. We need to be able to do that. Number two, he says, He says that the goal, the the purpose of my ministry is to hold before you the good news of the Gospel. The truth. I know it offends you, but I'm not going to stop doing it because it's the power of life unto salvation. And then then he says, but I want to make you Christ-like. And here's a question for all of us to have to deal with when we're ministering to the wayward. A challenging question, I think. Parents, for example, that are dealing with a wayward child. Sometimes I think that our concern with that child is more about how they reflect us. More about what people are going to say about me as a parent than about Christ being formed in that child. Our concern is that they keep the peace when our concern ought to be that they express the power of salvation in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we can pursue others. We can pursue that wayward member because we say, I'll do it. I'll get it done. All the rest of the people that have tried to win this person, you guys have been to whatever. Self-righteous, judgmental. Let me, me I can do it. I can do it. That happens after actually quite a lot in, in, in office. When new office bearers come into the consistory in June or so, then they get the cases that have been dealt with for years. And they say, well, let me have a crack at this because I can do it. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ being formed in them. 
And this isn't about your ability. This is about Jesus Christ's glory. Is the straying sheep a concern for us because of what it means for them and for the glory of God? Or because of what it means for us? Too easily it's what it means for us. And we need to check our spirits. We need to check our attitudes. And we need to ask ourselves, are we struggling in anguish as in childbirth in order for this brother or sister to have Christ formed in them? And that is, of course, also an important question for those who are straying, for those even who may be here today and struggling with the gospel, struggling with the call to faith, struggling with submission to the Word of God who are being drawn out by false teachers, drawn out by those in the community that are whispering in their ears different ideas, different truths. When we listen to these false teachers, when we, when we follow after the example of these false teachers, does it make our lives fuller? Does it bring us into greater fellowship with others? Does it expand our love for those around us? Does it make us desirous of seeing others saved? Or in the end, does it just separate us, isolate us? Does it bring us away so that we are now dependent upon these false teachers, these false friends, these false leaders, rather than dependent upon the church, upon the community, upon the gospel, upon Jesus Christ? Is Christ being formed in us? That's really the question we need to ask if we are struggling. If we've gone to university or college and we've heard some teacher and we're starting to doubt, do we see that teacher helping us to be more Christ-like or less Christ-like? Those friends of ours, do they make us more Christian, make us desire of worshiping God more faithfully or less faithfully? We can ask this question in a number of ways, but it remains the same. What is our purpose? What is our desire? What is our goal in life as those who are ministering to the wayward and as those who may be wayward? We need to see the formation of Christ within us as our great purpose. Not fame, not money, not personal glory, but that we want to see others reflect the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so in this way, Paul gives to us not only the substance of what we ought to share with those who are straying, he tells us how to speak to those who are wayward. He tells us to hold out to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he also shows us the method. He gives us principles for ministering to the wayward. He tells us to use personal experience. He tells us to use the powerful Word of God. And he speaks to us about honesty, about present expectation, about the present experience of our struggles. And he invites us to minister to others in this way. That ought to be for all of us a lesson we take to heart. Because we are all going to at some point encounter somebody, somebody we love, who's straying. And how can we win them? Well, Paul shows us the way. A way that is filled with the gospel and a way that is filled with grace. Let's ask the Lord to help us in that as we come to Him in prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Your Word is indeed a light unto our path and a lamp to our feet. And it gives to us instruction on how to to minister. Help us to heed that instruction, Lord. Help us to have integrity when we minister to others. Not to sit on our high horse, 
but rather just say, I know, I know what this is like. I've been here. Let me show you the way out. Let me show you the way to grace. And help us, O heavenly God and Father, to hold forth the powerful good news of the gospel, especially when it's tough, when it's going to offend. Help us to be kind. Help us to be gracious. Help us to be gentle, compassionate, all sorts of good things, Lord. But help us to be uncompromising when it comes to the truth. And help us to make the purpose of all of this, Lord, not ourselves, but your glory in Jesus Christ. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, the King. Amen.